All right, so here we are. We're still in our Advent series, and you might be thinking, well, Christmas has come and gone, but that's not actually the end of Advent, uh, because Advent is sort of this perpetual thing. We were waiting as, uh, or they were waiting for the arrival of the Messiah when Jesus came. So we talked about how there was an expectation that this Messiah was going to come, that he was going to establish an eternal reign, a reign of peace. He was going to come from the line of David, and he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And we saw that there was this great expectation, and so we joined in that expectation. Of course, we are expecting a Savior because we needed one. And I really want to focus on that for a minute, rewind all the way back to the first sermon in this sermon series. Joey preached from Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, you have Adam and Eve and you have them in the garden. And the garden is perfect. And Adam and Eve are perfect. And Adam and Eve aren't just perfect and in perfect relationship with each other, but with God. God is there with them. They are able to talk with Him freely at that point. And God had provided for them so richly. In this garden, there's a river running through it. And in the middle of the garden, there are trees. Two trees, specifically. One of them is the tree of life. Sounds good, right? Tree of life. The other one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the command. And we all know what happened, right? Eve ate, Adam ate, they sinned. And that which was new and perfect was broken. That which was wonderful was broken. That relationship that they had with God was now completely changed. And we know this because Adam hid himself the next time God comes walking through the garden. He doesn't want to be seen. He knows that he has sinned against God. God says, well, they've sinned now, and this is me paraphrasing, they've sinned now, we have to make them leave the garden so that they don't reach out and eat from the tree of life and live forever. Because who wants to live forever in a broken state? Who wants to live with everything just messed up? The glory of what was is gone. Everything is broken. As you probably have guessed by the name of our church, we're a big fan of things being restored. Right? We are Restoration Road Church. I've always been a big fan of things being restored. In fact, if you ever see me around a restored muscle car, you're going to wonder what happened to me. Or if like, you're driving down the road, my wife hates this, I will be driving down the road, and she thinks we're getting in a wreck, because I'll go, oh! She's like, what? I'm like, did you see that sweet 57 Chevy? Or did you see that sweet Plymouth Barracuda? Or did you see that awesome Ford Mustang that just went by? And she'll be like, why do you do that to me? You scare me every time. But I love seeing those cars restored to their former glory. And really, in a lot of cases, even beyond what they were when they were new. My first car was a 1969 Chevrolet Chevelle. 
And it needed to be redone. Like, it looked pretty nice when I got it, but pretty soon rust started showing. And I was like, man, oh, we, we've got to fix this. So we decided to fairy, redo everything about it. All right, we started uh, doing some body work on it, and we were kind of, actually kind of hoping to keep it minimal. And if you don't know what Bondo is, Bondo is this putty that's used to fill dents. And that's really what it's made for, like, small repairs. Well, I'm going along with this sander, and I hit this pocket of Bondo, and it blows up in my face. And I realized that pretty much my entire rear, fi- uh, rear fender has been made of Bondo. And I can't, like, I'm not an artist. I cannot sculpt a new fender out of Bondo. All right? So the whole, that whole right rear quarter panel has got to come off. And if we're doing the right one, we better do the left one as well because it had a lot of Bondo on it. And while we were at it, we decided to get rid of the seats inside and get new seats because in 1969, they made the seats out of vinyl. And if you've ever sat on a vinyl seat on a hot day, your leg sticks to it and it burns and it's not good. We're like, nope, we've got to get rid of this, get rid of the old. We're going to put in new cloth seats that are comfortable to sit on no matter what temperature it is. And the engine... It was kind of a grandma, what they call, you know, a grandma car. It, it had a V8, but it was like 200 horsepower. Like, why do I want 200 horsepower? So now it's got a small 383 in there that has 400 horsepower. And we got rid of the rear end that was in it and put a new rear end in it because I want to be able to light those tires up. I want them smoking when I hit the gas pedal. And I also want to be able to stop. So we got rid of all of the old brakes. They were all drum brakes. Now it's got four-wheel disc brakes. And I wish I could tell you it was done and I drove it today, but it's not quite done. It still needs to be put back together. But I'm really looking forward to the day when it is all put back together. And it is better than what it was. It's going to be a lot more fun than what it was beforehand. But we are in a similar state here. We are looking forward to a day when all things are going to be made new. We are looking forward to the second advent, the second arrival of Jesus. We anxiously wait that. And you know what is the great thing about the second advent of Jesus? is You're not going to miss it. Nobody's going to miss it when it happens. People missed the first advent. They didn't recognize Jesus for who he was. That's not going to happen at the second advent. Jesus described it as this. He said he is going to come down out of heaven. And heaven's going to open up. And when Jesus comes, his angels are going to be with him. He said, you're not going to have to wonder when I come back. He said, if somebody tells you I'm over there, don't believe them. He said, if they say he's in this room over here or that room over there performing signs and miracles, don't believe them. He said, as lightning flashes in the east and can be seen in the west, that's what my return is going to be like. When Jesus comes again, there will be no mistaking it. There will be no missing him at the second advent. The second advent is very different. Instead of coming as a baby, no, he's coming as a warrior, as a king. In fact, the picture we get in Revelation of him coming back, and we're going to be spending a lot of time in Revelation, and it's apocalyptic literature, so there's a lot of symbolism in there. Um, 
But when he comes back, it says he's going to be wearing many crowns. And on his robe, it's going to say King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's not going to be any missing that. When he comes back, it says there's going to be fire in his eyes. That fire is that he's able to gaze through everything and judge things rightly. It says he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. Again, symbolism. He's not literally going to have a sword coming out of his mouth. But he is going to be coming down proclaiming judgment. And Jesus said when he comes the second time and he gathers his elect to him. He gathers those that are his to him. He said the rest of the nations, they're going to mourn. Because they're going to realize that they missed him the first time. But there's no missing him the second time. There's no missing him at the second advent. And this might bring to question why it's good news if he's bringing judgment. Well, it's great news if your faith is in Jesus. Because while he's bringing judgment, and judgment on those who don't believe in him will be terrible. That's why the nations are going to mourn when he returns. Because they, their, sorry, his second advent will mean for them a lake of fire. And we're going to talk more about that as we read the scripture. But it's quite different for those whose faith is in Jesus. We should be anxiously looking forward to his return when he comes again in full glory. And you're not, it's going to be like uh, the finale at the Wakefield fire, fireworks show. Like you're waiting, right? You're waiting. You're like, is this the end? Is this the end? If you've never seen the finale at the Wakefield fireworks show, you're missing out. There is no missing that finale. And it's glorious and it's wonderful. And we look forward to that. Like you're sitting there, you're waiting, you're waiting. You're like, let's see the end. Well, we should be excitedly awaiting Christ's return as well. Turn with me to Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Very end of your Bible. Then I saw, so this is after Christ has come back. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, 
and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There's a new heaven and a new earth waiting, coming for those whose faith is in Jesus. That is why we are so looking forward to this second advent. The first description of the new heaven and the new earth is that there's no sea. And I got to admit, the first time I ever read that, I went, what? Like, no, why would there not be a sea on the new heaven and the new earth? Have you ever been to the sea when there's a storm? It's chaotic. It's huge. It's powerful. It's destructive. And in ancient thought, the sea represented all of those things. So what John is saying here is that that is not going to be a possibility in the new heaven and the new earth. The sea represented rebellion against God. Those who were sinners and far from God were represented as the, as the sea being tossed and turned. And in fact, in Revelation itself, it is out of the sea that the beast arises. The beast that would blaspheme against God and wage war on the believers. So John said, that's not a possibility. It is gone. This is a perfect environment. New heaven. New earth. Restoration. The New Jerusalem comes down. And the New Jerusalem is the church. Not a church building, but the people, the believers who make it up. And it says it's uh, dressed as a bride prepared for her groom. It's what the church is, the bride of Christ. So this New Jerusalem coming down, it is the believers in Jesus who are going to inhabit the new earth. And God is dwelling among them. We haven't heard that in a long time, right? Haven't heard that in a long time. We heard about it, what, at the beginning, in the garden. God was with Adam and Eve. And they had a great, perfect relationship. And we see it restored again. And every tear will be wiped away. the end of pain. It's the end of sorrow. It's the end of death. There's no more death. That hit really hard for me this week. My grandfather died on Christmas Day. The great thing is my grandfather loved Jesus. He believed in Jesus. And so next time I see him, It won't be in the body he was in because at the end, things got bad. At the end, he didn't know he was in his own house. He thought his oldest son was there to kill him. He lost weight. He couldn't eat. He didn't look like Grandpa. He didn't act like Grandpa. It was painful. So when he went, while it's sad, it's a good thing. Because he doesn't have to suffer anymore. All that is gone. And wounds are healed because wounds don't just hurt when they happen. A deep wound hurts a long time throughout life. 
I have a really messed up right ankle. I've rolled it many, many times, and the last time I was in for it, the doctor looked at it and said, you know what? You better be ready for some early arthritis in that ankle. It's going to hurt for a long time, but that won't be the case in heaven. And how much more true is that of emotional wounds we have? Right? Even after we heal, there's still pain there. It can still hurt. But not in the new heaven and the new earth. The old is done. It's gone away. It's done away with. It's new now. No death. We won't have to say goodbye to anyone there. We won't have to live with the effects of sin on our life there or on the lives of our loved ones. It will all be gone. And then we also talked about where God said here that He would, to whoever thirst, He would grant to drink from the spring of the water of life. Again, going back to Eden, when there was the tree of life, God said, no, we can't have Adam and Eve reach out and eat from that. They have to go. But now in the new heavens and the new earth, He says, whoever thirsts, I will grant him to drink from it without payment. Without payment. Because we could never pay for that. Jesus had to pay for that. It cost God. It cost Jesus. It didn't and won't cost us. That brings to mind uh, the psalm, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. And it is those who desire God, who seek after Him, they will be the ones who are allowed to drink for that. This is not for everybody. There's a dangerous teaching and dangerous belief out there that this is for everybody, that everybody, as long as you do good, that you'll be okay, you'll be in heaven, you'll receive all of this. But that's not truth. And there's a big warning right here at the end of this passage. It's for those who are conquerors, it says. For those who stay true to the end, whose faith is in Jesus and nothing else. It says it's not for the cowardly. You might be thinking, what, what's up with the cowardly? Well, if you read earlier in Revelation, the cowardly he's talking about are those who will deny Jesus when the going gets rough. When they are facing persecution, they will deny that Je- their faith in Jesus. They will turn from Him. But cowardly isn't necessarily just turning from faith in Jesus when your life is on the line. It can also be when life is going easy. And when things are looking good, in life. And instead of choosing to remain faithful to Jesus, you start to worship other things and be concerned with other things, sinful things, chasing after those instead. So those who are liars are not included, and those who are sexually immoral are not included in this. And before I get too far down that path, I want to say that I'm not preaching works here that you've got to be perfect in order to drink from this because that's certainly not the case here. 
Because the truth is, we've all sinned. And if it was up to our works, then none of us could afford to drink from there. None of us would deserve eternal life. None of us would deserve the new heaven and the new earth in all its perfection. We would not deserve that if it was up to us. But the warning is there that you cannot profess to love Jesus and profess to have faith in Jesus and just live any way you want. Deny Him when you choose and just pick Him back up at any point and then deny again when it suits you. You cannot do that. And Jesus Himself warned against that. Jesus, there uh, going to be a big paraphrase here. Shorten this up. Uh, but Jesus warned that you can't come to him. He said, many will come to me on that day, meaning the day he returns, and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things, prophecy and miracles in your name? And he'll tell them to depart from him because they practiced lawlessness. They never knew him. They called him Lord, but you never saw that in their lives. And that's because when your faith is in Jesus, it changes you. Not that you're perfect now, we will be perfect then, when the old is done away with. Not that we're perfect now, but that we are repentant of that sin. That our lives are new now, to a certain degree. And our lives aren't marked by these things we saw, but instead they're marked by growth and maturity in the faith. They are marked by putting these things to death, it says. By turning from them. And when we aren't perfect, and when we do sin, there is grace there. But I don't want to diminish this warning, because it's there for a reason. And we need to take it seriously. I'm going to finish up in Revelation 22. There's a great description of the New Jerusalem, um, and again, very, very symbolic. Um, But I want to finish up in Revelation 22, 1-5. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit for each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So the Bible ends where it began a garden in the city now the city of the people of God and in it is the tree of life and this time it's not God keeping people from it instead it says the leaves are for the healing of the nations everyone who is there will be made new made whole The old will be done away with. And the great thing is, it's people from everywhere. It's not just Americans. It's not just Europeans. It's not just Asians or Africans or South. 
Americans, but people from everywhere are going to be there. The nations will be represented. They will, everyone there will be doing what? Worshiping God. It's a wonderful thing about us getting together now to do it. It's a little foretaste of what's to come. We're going to get up and sing and worship God together, and it's a taste of what we're going to get to do perfectly then. Because we'll see God face to face. That's something that can't happen in our state now. Because things have been broken. Things are in decay. They're not all new yet. In fact, when Moses, like if you think you're worthy of of seeing God face to face on your own, Moses was not allowed to see God face to face. God said, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm putting you in this crevice over here. Because if you see my face, you'll die. But that is going to be removed in the new heavens and the new earth. When all things are made new, we will see God face to face. His name, it says, will be written on our foreheads. It's showing that we are totally His. He is our God. We are His people in the new heaven and the new earth. I hope that excites you. I hope that makes you wait anxiously for the second advent, for when Jesus returns. Not in fear, but in excitement. The great thing about this is that our waiting is not some waiting of boredom. Like we're not just going to sit around and twiddle our thumbs until Jesus comes back. No, the fact that we have a citizenship in this new Jerusalem, that our reward is there in heaven and lasts for all eternity, frees us of the bondage of this life of living for ourselves and just trying to get as much as we can. We instead are free to live lives for God, for the Gospel, to share Jesus with everyone we know, to love people selflessly, because that's what God has called us to do, because that is how God has loved us. He has loved us completely and totally. He gave us His Son, Jesus. He gives us a reward to be with Him forever, to reign forever and ever, it says. Because of that, we can live lives now that are full of action for the gospel. Full of action, spreading the good news that Jesus has come. The first advent was real. It happened. He came to die on the cross for the sins of all those who would believe in Him. And it doesn't matter what you've done beforehand. Your sins are forgiven when your faith is in Jesus. And that is great 